It's time. Time to musk up. First developers develop. That doesn't make sense. Well, you know anything about computers? We must be cautious. James and Chris. The keyboard cowboys. Welcome to Salted Bites. Here we go, we're live. And good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Salted Bites podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since our last uh, our last show, as Chris has now moved to sunny Spain. But we're back with you, and hopefully we're going to be back on track with our bi-weekly podcasts. Um, so, my name is James, and I've got Chris with me today. Yes, you do. Hello. And today we're going to talk about PWAs. It's my understanding, Chris, that you've just rewritten your your website as a PWA. Is that right? I think I have, but rewritten is probably a grandiose term for basically shoving a service worker on it and calling it a day. <laughs> Fair enough. It's well, it's uh, an update at least. Yeah. No, it's it's not it's not quite as simple as that. But um, I, you know. Since I took a, I think I took a course down at the office, Google's offices in London in like 2017 or something. And I took a course there on progressive web apps. And like since then, it's been all I talk about to anybody uh, to the point where I think it's getting a bit much. It's getting a bit dull. <laughs> it's, it's literally all I say in client pitches and uh, to anybody who will listen. I've very much made it my thing. And it's high time that my own website, as a freelancer, high time that my own website kind of, uh, you know. Practices what you preach. As well. Exactly. Exactly that. So, yeah, it was high time that I did that. So, nice. yeah, I have re re-architected again, a very grandiose term for what <laughs> doesn't amount to too much. Is but, it Meteor? Meteor-based? No, it is a flat, single page, one HTML file some images, some JavaScript, some CSS, and that's it. And it's hosted in S3. Oh, nice. Yeah, the actual hosting of it is a really interesting one, which I'll come on to talk about in a, in a little bit, just mm. as we can go through the build. But um, I guess, you know, progressive web apps are, you know, I'm sure you, as as I like to go on Hack and News and read the comments section when we're feeling a bit, uh, you know, like we want to see some people getting salty. And um, <laughs> progressive web apps—they come in, they come under a lot of fire from a lot of people for being just like a buzzword. And and that, some of that's fair, but I don't think a lot of it is. I think progressive web apps are the shit, as they say. And <laughs> do you think people are hating on them because they don't necessarily understand their full power? No, I think they do understand the power. I think that people are wary of anything with a label that, to be honest, that you know, companies like Google try and shove down your throat without really understanding why that is. And I think progressive web apps kind of get, they have a lot of um, advocates. There are a lot of people on the web talking about how great they are and a lot of people who are like, yeah, I mean, it's a fad, whatever. So. Mm. I, I think, though, personally, I think they're fantastic. And I think as long as you follow the paradigms that progressive web apps are trying to mandate that you do, you get a lot of benefits and you can't argue with the resulting project. You know, it's fast. It works. It can work offline if you put the effort in. It can handle things like push notifications. You can pin it to home screen. And the reason why these, I made, you know, Progressive Web Apps, my thing was because particularly in agency uh, projects, often 
clients, they don't, or you know, your your customers, they don't want an app. They think they want an app, but they don't actually need an app. And when I say app, I'm talking about like a an iOS or Android native application. Yeah. A lot of the time they don't need the whole thing. They just need a little bit of offline handling. Maybe some push notifications. They think they probably do, but they don't. And just to be fast, performant, you know, work well on mobile, have a a good user experience. That's what they want when they say app. Yeah. So that's a lot to uh, design as well, isn't it? Doesn't necessarily you could have a great user ex uh, mobile experience that isn't necessarily a PWA. It's just had some actual thought going into it. Yeah, exactly that. And so the best progressive web apps uh, do, you know they have to work well on mobile. You can't ship one unless it works well on mobile and kind of progresses, uh, passes Google's own criteria for what makes a progressive web app, which you can run very easily using the Lighthouse audit tools in the Chrome uh, in, the, in the Chrome Dev Console. Like just built in now? Yeah, yeah. It's just um, they used to have a bunch of other stuff there, but now it's just Lighthouse. Boom, off you go. And I'm proud to say, I'm not proud to say that my, my, my the scores on my site are... They're they're pretty they're pretty good except for accessibility because I haven't done that bit yet. Fair enough. And partly because like what do I put as an alt tag for my face? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You know anybody listening to this, you go to hello.chrisquin.tech, sexy top level domain there. Um, you you go there and it the, pretty much the only images are some icons and my face. So, you know, it's it's not like you're missing much with the alt tags there. But in order to kind of pass the lighthouse analysis, I would need to just go that extra mile, which I will do. But for the purposes of talking about my site for this show, I was happy enough going so far with it. And then I'll iterate later. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, could you run me like run us through the key parts of the of a PWA? Like what makes it work? Well, the to make to to call your website a progressive web app, you need to you need to have a, there are certain technologies you need to have and make use of in your application, and there are certain uh, practices you need to follow, and you need to make sure that all of these you've 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 tested and that you've registered everything correctly and done it in the right order to make sure that you jump through all of the hoops in order to be able to call yourself. A, a progressive web app. And that sounds really vague, I know. But there's a very easy way to work out how far away you are from being a progressive web app. And that's, in fact, to run the Lighthouse audit. Now, you may think, well, I haven't done it yet, but that's fine. When you run the Lighthouse audit against your, against your site, Google will, in that report, effectively tell you all the things you need to do to make your site into a progressive web app. So cool. kind of the roadmap, I could sit here and say, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. But you know what? I don't need to do that. All you need to do as a developer to work out, okay, uh, I want to make my site into a progressive web app. How do I do that? You can get a tailor-made roadmap just for you by simply cracking the dev uh, console open, going to the audits tab and running an audit, a lighthouse audit against your site. And boom, there you go. You'll have your, your own tailor-made kind of... Uh, uh, tailor-made roadmap there to towards converting your site into a progressive web app. So there is like a checklist as well, which you can go to. We, we can put the link in the in the show uh, in the show notes, I guess. But um, here are the basics. So your site needs to be served over HTTPS. It's a given, hopefully. 
hopefully <laughs> Un unfortunately probably isn't but hey that, that that's the that's kind of the, the biggest thing if you're not serving it over https well do that you know like get it done dude come on 2019 let's do this um so first off needs to be served uh securely secondly your site needs to be responsive and yeah the lighthouse audit will test that you can't you can't fudge it next your site needs to have some offline handling okay again again the audit will test for this to what sort of degree do you have to have offline you, you have to paint something you have to offer something even if it's just a, a simple html page that says hey we're offline that's fine you just okay. need to respond with something and it google's you know been deliberately uh de deliberately kind of lax about this like you just need to do something it doesn't necessarily care what only mm -hmm. that you do something to say to the user ah shucks we're offline maybe send us an email if you can <laughs> if you you know if you're offline that doesn't help but you know um doing doing something is, yeah. is the name of the game Be, beyond those sort of top headlines you've got a kind of what i call this kind of tier two tier two criteria for a progressive web app which are very achievable but not necessarily as, as big as those first few headlines you need to have your metadata correctly uh, declared like you need to have a, a web app manifest file that's yeah. You know, properly references uh, a bunch of icons that will work across several different devices. If you do have this done correctly and all of the preceding tests have passed, then you can you get the benefit of the user being able to add your uh, website to the home screen, which is awesome. That's kind of what most people are after when we're building apps. Uh, right. Your site your site needs to be performant as well, and to test that, Google say right, you need to load fast even on three G. Okay, I've kind of alluded to this already, but your site needs to work cross browser. Which again, I mean, hey, we can say, oh, that's a given, but it actually does need to work across browser. You know, you can't just have completely neglected to take into account that there are some reasonably game game breaking bugs in Safari versus Chrome, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, you can't have kind of um, uh, sort of blocking uh, render blocking things going on in your site. So if you if you put some sort of weighty JavaScript file in the head and that blocks the rest of the page from rendering. Again, Google's Lighthouse Audit will pick this up and it will detect that this is happening and it will report back to you and say, no, you need to not do this in order to be considered as a progressive web app. So that that's kind of the, the, the main things to do to make your site into a progressive web app. Those are the headlines that you that you need to achieve or you need to, to fulfill in order to be able to 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 effectively to say hey this is a progressive web app now and your site can take advantage of all of the cool <coughs> benefits that the pwas give you nice would you so, like to know what my scores are by the way i would i would love to know what your scores are all right cool so there are five metrics that lighthouse analyzes okay i'm Before proud of these scores uh, just a bit yeah um so there's performance Progressive web app specific criteria, so that's number two. Accessibility is number three. Best practices, number four. And lastly, dirty acronym, S-E-O. Nice. So that's number five. So my scores are performance, 100. Ooh. Out of 100, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so criteria two, PWA, 100. 
Accessibility, criteria number three, 49. Ouch. Yeah. Best practices, 100. Boom. SEO, 90, surprisingly, since I did zero effort on the SEO front. So, you know, this is without me really putting much effort into accessibility or SEO. And I kind of have a reasonable place to start from on both of them. But, you know, three triple 100 scores. Right. The first pass is pretty damn good. I'm pretty happy with that. So, I mean, you're a bit of a bit of a PWA pro. I, I've only ever, I haven't used it in anything in production. We did, I did a bit of research into, into using it because I had a site that was particularly image heavy, having to render a massive map and then lots and lots of points of interest on that map and figured that the PWA might be a, a good way to go because you could cache the, cache the images and then it would be rapid after first load. But I got a bit worried about the ability to invalidate the cache. And I don't know whether that is, there is a, a need to be worried about that sort of thing or not, because see if you're not, not able to invalidate your cache or the service worker, then you're always setting up dead content. Is there, how do you go about handling that? There's, there's a couple of ways you can go about that. Um, there are a couple of different ways of uh, managing the cache in a very generic way, which is say there are, there are these kind of uh, rules to say like stale while we validate and stuff like that at a very at a very top level. But um, one of the actually the cheekiest and easiest ways to do uh, to, to to do this this kind of caching is actually to go old school and to do like um, uh, like versioning. Okay. So um, instead of always having, like, so say you had a uh, an image that had the same, like uh, the same path, the same URL, mm. but you've replaced it with something for some reason, then effectively, if all you do is just change the path to that, and instead of going, you know, images v1 image.jpg, you go images v2 image.jpg. Anybody who connects to your site will, uh, you know, they'll get the latest version of the app and all the service worker is doing is is intercept is intercepting a request for a particular uh, resource so the service worker will see that okay hang on a second i've got a request for a new resource i better go and fetch that from the network instead of using my cached version that we've got locally in memory so that's like that that's the cheekiest way of doing it you can or, or you know you can you can append a um, question mark and and then a, like a hash or something on the end of the URL and again that will force the the user's application to go and get the, late, the latest version. So there's kind of two different ways of doing it. Okay. Um, I think in in your case though, for for that particular project, what you were potentially worried about as well is like how many images were you storing? Was it like more than five megabytes? Uh, yes, I mean it was. It was only, I mean, it was probably only going to be five images, but one of them was probably 12 or 13 meg. A single image. Wow. It's, it's 8,000 by 8,000 pixels. It's an absolute beast. So we ended up deciding not to do PWA and took took some uh, some pointers from how Google do Google Maps and basically cut the image up. And now we still in a, on a tiled in a tiled basis, so when you come within a certain uh, proximity to the edge of the screen, it will then load the corresponding next tiles, and it's just made it absolutely rapid. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you probably could do something 
like that in a PWA context, but just not rely on caching everything. You'd, you'd have to create some pretty, pretty galaxy brain like <laughs> um, <laughs> caching rules to make sure that you were getting fresh, fresh stuff each time. Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, the the image, the background image probably isn't going to change very often. The client has asked for it to be mobile first, so they want it to be be really, really slick on mobile. So, I mean, the the way we went about it with cutting the map the map up has made a huge difference. Got down the first load from something like twenty five megs to three. Um, so it was happy days. Okay. Okay, cool. That's, I mean, that's still pretty, pretty chunky, but I guess, you know, that's an order of magnitude worth of savings there, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, so on the loading, there'll be a, a nice fancy cartridge loading screen, uh, which will warn users of high, I mean, it's, it's not a box down a website. It's, it's an experience rather than uh, something people are going to go to and go to often. So they'll, they'll go to, go to it within the knowledge that it's going to be something a little bit different. Okay, you see, in that in that situation, like a PWA would serve you pretty well, though, because you get things like a splash screen and and uh, and what have you that you wouldn't necessarily get out of the box in in some other experiences. Although, to be honest, as you say, by the time they've pinned it to their home screen, they've already seen the site, so we're not necessarily looking for repeat yeah. visits so much as that. Person. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I think though that when you're building web applications as opposed to sort of poster sites the my, my site that i've rebuilt is just a, a poster site you know way to get in contact mm. um you you need to you need to also consider that you you've got all of the other tools that you would normally use at your disposal to architect and to build and deploy your project so things like um cloudfront and ways of having like really aggressive caching mm. you can have layer upon layer of tools at your disposal to to really give people that kind of buttery smooth awesome experience that you're looking to do yeah because in pwas they all we're thinking about really is client side at the minute yeah but there's obviously a whole ecosystem of things you need to be talking about like where where are we pulling this data from yeah, and when when you start thinking about updating data and trying to, if you've got a web app that's particularly interested in pulling in a fresh copy of some data to display to the user, um, you know, then you can start thinking, okay, well, we're going to use more advanced tooling than the stuff I did on my site. You know, we can think about using React and Redux and and stuff, and you you still get to have all of that cool shit, but within a PWA shell. You just have this extra layer of service, you know, with the service worker intercepting requests, you have this extra level of performance. That means when your app boots, instead of reloading all of those images and that CSS and that JavaScript, effectively, we're just wrapping all of our contingencies around a fetch to maybe an endpoint or something to go and get the latest data. Nice. Uh, and we may even have a fallback for that data as well. Like while we're fetching the latest data, let's just show what we were, uh, the last copy of what we had. Yeah, I did the. I ran through the PWA tutorial from the from Google about building a weather app, and Excellent. it shows you about like preloading some dummy data that is is like real looking data, and then showing that until the fetch is finished. It's nice, really nice, nice. Exactly that. It's yeah about thinking about the user experience in in a holistic sense instead of just going right. We'll do this and then this and then this, and they can just wait. You know, yeah. It's, it's Learning about PWAs changes you as a developer because 
it forces you to think about things that you could have otherwise just not bothered thinking about for the longest time and performance and footprint of your application being one of them. Be interested to know how you go about writing a PWA with something like React Apollo and which caching option you would lean on, whether you lean on your service worker for the caching of data or whether you lean on Apollo, Apollo's cache which one's more performant? Well, I think you'd do both, really. Like you'd, you'd let the PW, sorry, you'd let the service worker handle the static assets, and then you'd defer everything else to just Apollo for data handling. Yeah, um, I think that that's pretty that's pretty clear cut. I think that one because the service worker is best suited to intercept requests for you know assets. Okay, uh, and, and what have you? Whereas your data and the uh, no, not the logic so much as yeah, no, the the, the kind of what you're looking for Apollo to do, <coughs> excuse me, in that in that particular situation is go off and get the latest version of whatever you've told it to get, right? Mm, so yeah. I I think in that situation you're looking for the service worker to effectively like hold hold the ball <laughs> while Apollo goes and does that. Okay. So it's a kind of like two sides of the same coin, really. They're both you know they're both doing their own thing and they can be used in conjunction. I I would contend. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask because obviously I'm I'm very interested in native apps and well React Native specifically. Just wondering how you think they match up against the PWA because I know that PWAs do have native-like functionality and the I mean the APIs, the browser APIs are uh, getting more and more powerful. Uh, and you can access cameras and file system and whatnot. How do you how do you think they match up? I'm I'm slightly different to a lot of advocates of PWAs in the sense that I I think it's no contest for the most part. Like native apps will always be better at doing certain things. There's just they're they're apples and oranges for the most for the most part. You if you are looking to do like the project you described earlier, if you're looking to do something you know very specific and a very uh, kind of either graphically intensive or computationally intensive experience, then yeah, React Native is a great way to do that. And you get access to the device APIs uh, in a very performant and very efficient way. So I think a lot of the time, if you're, if you're looking to do something like that, then yeah, you need, you need the power that comes with a, uh, with a framework like React Native, or you, you know, you just go, Full, full native development. Mm. Where where I think PWAs excel is in that gray area where the client doesn't want a website. They're very clear about that. <laughs> it's not a website they want. It's um, it, it's something else. But when you boil down the business requirements, they they often come to you know being just a, a full screen, well architected, fast, mobile first, uh, offline capable. Mm experience and that that offline capable part is really where most where the acid test is i think so i think often it's pitched as a versus question whereas i think it shouldn't ever be a versus question for the most part i think it should be a well hang on our business logic dictates that we can only do one or the other i think there's very rare that you will be in a position where you you have to say Oh, it's it's fifty fifty whether this is going to be a uh, you know yeah. whether we're going to be using like uh, React Native to compile to 
you know, to, to, to compile to your native code or what have you, um, versus a PWA. I think it, it should be very rare because if you haven't worked that out, then you probably haven't worked out the intricacies of your project well enough. And there's, yeah. there's some more planning to do there. Um, I'll give you I'll give you an example, like uh, a company that sells things has a sales force. So it has people that sell their stuff and they want to, they think they want an app which is effectively a catalog that the sales team take around with them on their on their devices. And they bring they bring their own devices. They've all got iPads or or, or just on their phones. And they've got like a catalog of products that they sell. And the client comes to you and says, yeah, we need an app because we need offline functionality to be able to show uh, on this digital device, we need to be able to show our product catalog to prospective customers and you know, the sales team, they might not have an internet connection at that point, so we can't use a website. That is 80% of the projects in my sort of last agency job. That was pretty much most of the projects that we ended up doing. And my response to this was, yeah, you don't, you don't want an app. Trust me, you don't want us to spend six months wrestling with Ionic or, you know, something. To, to, to do that, you don't, you don't want that. All you need is a, is a smattering of offline functionality. Yeah. Because, again, you, what you do is you drill down further and you say to them, okay, well, you want some offline functionality. Fine, let's just park that for a second. How often are you going to update this? And they'll say something like, oh, you know, pretty often. And, and you'll go, okay, cool. So quite a lot of the time we're going to be having to make updates and push new versions of the application, which doing that through an app store is Pain. probably more, more painful than I <laughs> would like it to be. Yes. So all of these things lead me to think, well, okay, so what you need, customer, right now, I would suggest is a kind of headless CMS pumping data into something that has offline functionality, but when it's online, it can come and get the latest assets that it needs, and you don't need to push all that through an app store. Yeah, nice. And they say, and they say yeah, okay, that actually sounds like what we want. And that can be achieved pretty, you know, pretty, I say pretty straightforward, pretty easily. It can be achieved with any number of combinations, but effectively looking at client-side PWA, fetching data from some endpoints mm. that then hydrate with the latest information. And that information can be curated by anything. It could be headless Drupal, headless WordPress, um, which is which is now a big thing. Lots of people are doing that, apparently. Yeah. Um, We're doing headless Drupal at the moment. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, I think it's Drupal. It's still Drupal, but yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> you can't can't quite get away from Drupal or WordPress. Who gives a shit? They're both PHP at the end of the day. That, but but uh, I mean, it's that sort of that paradigm. I think feels feels like a real sweet spot for agency work because you're giving the customer, the client, rather the agency to be able to update their content without coming to you yeah. and pushing a new version on the rest of it. You're giving them that power, and that's what they want, typically. Um, but on the user side of things, you're getting to use some awesome tech, which means your developers are hopefully happier that they're not just building WordPress sites or just, I say just, you know, they're perfectly valid, but, you know, you get to be working on some potentially really cool projects that have the latest tech in them, you know, React and PWAs and all of this kind of, Awesome source. Yeah. So, you know, your developers are happy and engaged. The client gets what they wanted, which was an offline capable 
cross-device responsive, you know, cool thing for their sales force to take out into the field, and so on and so forth. So I, I think to this to this whole debate, you know, whether it should be one or the other, I think you should have if you're still asking yourself that question, there's probably more to find out in terms of business requirements. And you should go and you should find out what the customer wants. And that should make your decision for you. Cool. That's a bloody good answer. Boom. <laughs> um, good. Okay, look, James, um, I, I have I have something to share with you. Okay. So in our, um, have you still got our chat thing? No, no, we, we can do like a chat thing in this Hangouts, can't we? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yes, we do. I'm going to send you a message through it. Uh, sorry, send you a, a file through it, if I can. I'll start off with a little bit of an intro. James, recently on, on Twitter, we had a bit of a discussion about some intro music. Ooh, ooh. To the podcast. So uh, I've just put in our Google Drive folder, I've just put a... Uh, an mp3 which i'd like you to to go ahead and listen to now i might not be able to hear it but i think for the purposes of editing the show what we could do is splice it in and uh you know have the the user the the listener to the show experience it at the same time that you do nice where so, where what did you call it it's called jamesbest.mp3 and it's next to sleepybunny.jpg, um, which is in the top level of our of our Google Drive. What is? Oh uh, yeah, that's my daughter. Uh, <laughs> um, so should I listen to it now? I, I would. I'd like your live reaction, please. Okay. <laughs> Absolute genius. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. I, that's going to be my ringtone. You are very welcome, James. I had it specially commissioned for you. You clearly, man, you didn't tell him that I said anybody but him, did you? Well, yeah, of course I did. I'm surprised he didn't tell me to fuck off at the end. No, no, he was he was on he was on commission from me. I wrote the words, all all, all twelve of them or whatever. <laughs> That's so good. Wow. Um, I'm quite touched, Chris. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, James. And that is, is that exactly our intro now. No, that that isn't our, our intro. I think we can, we can play it at choice moments throughout the show, though. Right. Maybe it could be my intro music. I could play it and then walk into the room, and I could just record my footsteps. That's actually really good. I like that. Nice. <laughs> um, anybody who's listening, if you want to achieve a similar sort of thing, Fiverr.com is all I need to say. Ukulele guy. I'm not sponsored by them, by the way. But if Fiverr wants to sponsor us, please go ahead. I know, I know right? What the hell are we doing? Giving out this free advertising. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, should we do some picks? Let's, Let's do picks. some picks. Salted picks. A choice selection of useful shit. Do you have any picks? Oh, I have any picks. Sorry, I, I didn't. You broke up for a second there. Um, yes. Cool. I've got so many picks. It's been a while. So, Dude, all right. <laughs> it's another developer podcast, and I think it's called Undefined, but I could be wrong. It could be un underrated. 
I'm pretty sure it's undefined. Undefined makes more sense. And it's kind of similar to this. Two guys shooting the shit. Quite funny. These guys are obviously way more famous than us. And so clearly have way more listeners. It's uh, Ken Wheeler and Jared Palmer. Awesome. I will I will check that out because I haven't seen this one before. But um, yeah, Jared Palmer and Ken Wheeler. So it's a nice, nice length. Um, second pick is <clears throat> the GraphQL code generator. It is the fucking dog's bollocks. It's amazing. Particularly if you're like me and you're a poor bastard and have to use GraphQL and Drupal, which is awful, but <laughs> best of rest. And this tool, you provide a schema and it will, oh, I don't know. I don't actually know whether you would use it for projects that aren't written in TypeScript, but everything we do at the moment is in TypeScript. So this will read your schema, read your queries, and generate the types for you. Uh, and it also produces, if you want to, typed React components for your queries and mutations. Mm. So you don't have to pass in any types. It just they're just just done for you. It's so amazing. It makes your component, your React components, so clean. Love it. Seriously, love it. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that it does. So it does read uh, TypeScript and Flow. I don't know whether you would use it for for non-typed JavaScript projects. Hmm. I can't see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't see why. You, no, I don't see why you would. Maybe I'm just being stupid. I can't think. <laughs> uh, okay, but that's a good pick, though. Yeah, it's amazing. It's 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 so good for projects that aren't using something like Apollo or Prisma. They kind of give you uh, that generate types for you, mm. um, like interfacing with Drupal, which is all entity based, is an absolute pig to query. But yeah, it's amazing. That's uh, two picks. I'll leave it at two. Awesome. I will do two quick ones as well. I've got uh, Rocket Chat. Nice. Because I had to do some hacking on Rocket Chat for uh, for for a very brief gig I had recently, and it's really interesting to see a fully mature kind of media project in the wild that's like got hundreds of thousands of users and is is pretty cool. It's it's one of those. It's it's open source and. That's obviously awesome. Uh, lots of people have now kind of forked it and done their own stuff with it, and Rocket Chat's kind of brought some of that back in. But it's amazingly fully featured. And if you are an open source community, or you're involved with one, or you just have a, a team of people, maybe a group of volunteers, Slack won't always cut it for you in that situation, because eventually you're going to want to start, you're going to have to pay to have things like, you know, to be able to retain your your message history mm. and stuff like that. And when you start adding up the number of users you need to pay for, it starts getting very expensive. So in that sort of situation, Rocket Chat is fantastic because you just have to host it yourself. It requires a little bit of, you know, a little bit of setup, but there's lots of good documentation. And you can free yourself from the need to be paying for a per seat kind of user, user-based license thing, which for some communities will be an absolute lifeline. And you can actually import uh, user bases directly from Slack and stuff like that. So it's it's a really good 
alternative to Slack, and it's written in my favorite framework. Cool. We're using it as our uh, main means of conversation now that Chris lives abroad. Have you gone? He's disappeared. There you go. Back on. Chris is we, back. He's he's back. Guess who's back? Why back why why did you leave, Chris? Fuck off. <laughs> My so in in Spain, I have yet to acquire a fixed line. So we are currently running off a four G hotspot, which is doing God's work, but will run out of battery if I don't plug it in. What a tool. <laughs> Are you talking about me or the hotspot? You, 100%. It's not the hotspot's fault. Sorry. What's your second pick? Again, I'll, I'll just fuck you. Yeah. Um, my, <laughs> my second pick is um, this uh, dude I read about on, can't remember what it was, social media or something like that. He turned his CV into a bootloader. Oh, I saw this. You, you put a link, didn't you? Yeah, in our, in our Trello of cool shit. But, you know, I've got to shout out for this. It's fucking awesome. So he turned basically a PDF of his CV. If you stick that on a USB and chew, and then boot your, you know, boot your machine using that USB, it, it turns into a little, a little game or a little rendition of a game basically showing off how awesome this dude is. He, he wrote like a tiny bootloader. It's like one meg or something or a thousand mm -hmm. bytes, whatever, same thing. Um, and you, you know, if you, if you put it onto a USB and then boot from it, it, it works. It's, it's That's that kind. Cool. Yeah, it's a little bit of extra, extra sauce, extra spice that you just think, why? But then why not? Actually, yeah, exactly. And that so, shows that you're incredibly clever. That it should, does. take some some thought. Just a little bit, and I bet he's got. He's had a lot of a lot of um, kudos for this. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, no shout out to actually what's the guy's name? Pablo Jimenez Mateo. Godspeed, son. Amazing. So good. Um, you know, we we've got another section of the show which we've jokingly renamed as to who the fuck hasn't been hacked. <laughs> <laughs> but for this this time, instead of talking about who's been hacked, can we talk about again? This is something I put in our in our secret super secret Trello board. Who's been hacked? Uh, there was a tweet from the one of the founders of NPM, I think, who talked about how a major international bank accidentally published a private package of their own to the public NPM registry. Now, hey, come on, we've all done we've all done something like that, right? But it gets better. So they did this. Uh, one of their developers did this. Now, it then took them three years to notice. <laughs> uh, at which point, three years later, they then noticed, they then sent DMCA takedown notices to Amazon and Cloudflare and contacted NPM to ask why they were hosting stolen code. What? So, I mean, there's all sorts of Tom fuckery going on here. And the, 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 one of the, the, the NPM dudes is kind of like, look, this, this happens all the time because you've got non-techie people freaking out over 
you know, quite quite rightly, this is something you probably should freak out a little bit about. Mm. But I mean, first off, the package that was pushed was actually some just some boring UI nonsense. It wasn't anything sensitive, like at all. Yeah. But is a hilarious um, example of how when you start getting other spheres of existence involved, like lawyers and you know boards involved, that they just have no idea of the ramifications. And you know, you tell them your code's been stolen. They're going to bring out the big guns, but yeah, that's really not what happens. It's pretty the sort of thing that no one, it's not like someone's just going to stumble upon it. I think, oh, I'm going to use this UI library that's really fucking boring. No, they actually drew more attention to it by trying to sue Amazon for hosting. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, Christ. So that one I thought was um, pretty goddamn amazing. Because it's, I mean, the worst thing that's happened is they've pushed some their own intellectual property out there, and you know that's now out there for anybody else to look at, and that's you know that's not not serious. It's mm. you know there's something to do there, but there's all sorts of things like the fact that npm actually offer an enterprise version that lets you avoid this entire fiasco sort of thing. Like it's not even that it's oh we all do that kind of thing all of the time. Yeah, we, we we've all done something like that, but you know if you're a bank you probably can afford to yeah. shell out for like an enterprise thing for npm but the person who did the deploying must be a bit of a tool because you have to add a public flag to all organizations npm packages for it to go public it they they're by default private yeah exactly and you have to work quite hard but what i imagine happened is he just did some sort of um you know he did some copy pasta yeah, you know, just pasted some stuff in from somewhere else, omitted to add the, you know, add the public flag. Oh, sorry, no, forgot to remove the public flag or something, you know, something like yeah. that. And, you know, just a lot of different things going wrong. All of, do you know there's a term for this actually in safety modeling, uh, which is something my my father does actually for for spaceships, which is fucking cool. Um, yeah, it's called the Swiss cheese model. <laughs> So if you've got several slices of Swiss cheese, they all have holes in them, right? Mm. And all of, you know, for something, for an error or a catastrophic failure to go wrong, effectively, if you imagine that, you know, the, the slice of Swiss cheese, if your, your error or your fault makes it through one of the holes, you know, then it hasn't been caught. So your processes are the slices of Swiss cheese. And if something makes it past there, then your process has failed, right? Mm. So typically a lot of, uh, lots of systems have lots of layers of Swiss cheese to stop faults going through, but they're not always completely foolproof. Yeah. So that's why you have this Swiss cheese model that something at some point will eventually make it through. And if you move your cheese, so Swiss cheese, you know, slices all into the, uh, into the right order, then something could pass through all of them and result in a catastrophic failure. Yeah. Like it's, great, it's great analogy, isn't it? Yeah, really good. It's good because it lets sort of non-techie people go, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, in the case, in this particular case, I think it's really interesting because there was obviously not enough layers of cheese. Exactly. Or the fact that there were cheese. exactly the fact that they they had holy cheese at all was was the problem. But yeah. no, I think you know that's for, I, I would suggest that's our uh, fitting fodder for our who's been hacked segment yeah. because it's no it's not necessarily just about exploits or people's data being stolen i think this section can kind of evolve into a like well let's look at something that went wrong and think well what what should they have done or <laughs> you know how, how could this how could this have been avoided uh that kind of thing nice i i have one one more plug i'm afraid 
It's a shameless on, one because it's something that I wrote. Oh, do it. Uh, so many moons ago, when I was wet behind the ears, a uh, mobile developer, my boss came to me asking whether I could write an emoji keyboard. After doing a bit of research, I discovered that it would have to be native and said, no, I couldn't. A year later, he came to me again, asking whether I could do it. And by now I've done a fair <laughs> bit of uh, native work and said that I could. We now have an adult emoji keyboard on Apple and Google Play stores. The artwork is done by my boss's friend, a guy called Andy Rivers. Uh, it's all, they're all, all the, they're all cartoon based pretty amusing it took us a long time to get it through both the app stores because supposedly apple and google don't like tits or the words just the tip were <laughs> some of the featured some of the featured emojis we finally got it through so if you go to your your uh, requisite app stores and look for the found emoji project you'll find a new emoji keyboard with some rather interesting emojis well, I tell you, I'm doing that right now. Nice. That is probably the most awesome plug that we'll ever have. Yeah, yeah. We got we. Uh, I asked Apple why it got rejected, and they said we don't like this one. And it was it was one called Just the Tip. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord, that's um, that's incredible. Look, I, I, I'm I'm installing this right now. It's quite quick on my. Uh, on my 4G. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So I've already installed it. Right, I'm going to add it as a keyboard. And it's going to, oh, hang on a second. This input method may be able to collect all the text that you type, including personal data, like passwords. Uh, okay, sure. I'll trust you, James. Thanks. You're going to send me a message. Yep, and it's going to be obscene about the project. This is really well designed, by the way. So this is this is Andy. Mm. So the it's quite an interesting build because it's the actual app, the physical app is React Native. Oh yeah. But the actual keyboards that are written are natively written. Oh, are they? Uh, and so we've just added the, the native keyboard code to the the React Native app because then we share as much share as much code as possible across the two apps because they're. The actual apps them, themselves are exactly the same, obviously, but the uh, the keyboards are, are different. These are amazing. Boom. All right. Well, yeah. um, inter interruptions notwithstanding, <laughs> yes, we've uh, that that I think is is a uh, is good for. What are we on now? Episode four. Is this episode four? four? Yeah. Fantastic. Episode four. A new hope. Indeed, we will. Uh, we'll get back to you in another two weeks with the next episode absolutely we've got some interesting special guests that may or may not be joining us for the next episode um from uh developers who are working in another country so they're working not remotely but they've actually moved to another country to go and work uh you know go and work for a company to um wordpress group uh, uh organizers like uh, WordCamp organizers to you know other freelancers and so on and so forth. We've got actually quite an interesting list of people who are queuing up to come on the show, including some designers as well. Hey, you know we're not just about code monkeys here on Salted Bites. We've actually we actually know some design type people as well. Yeah, 
Great. That sounds amazing. Awesome. All right. Well, let's sign it off here from James and Chris on Salted Bites. Thanks for joining us. And come and check us out on saltedbites.rocks. Take it easy, guys. Bye.